our main focus is on the three pillars of sustainability, right? It is it is on the people, profit, and planet. It always has been, and so we intertwine those things. You can't you can't do the other pieces with with if you don't have a profitable farm. So from the beginning. Or, or education, whether it's at the high school student level or now at the farm, has been on sustainable practices. And we, we look at all the practices. We don't demonize anything either. Okay, I think that's the big part of it is that we've been able to walk that line. So it, it is critically important. We're part of a larger ecosystem that we work with all different parts of agriculture. And that's always been, been at our base and, and what we value and believe in. But we also are, you know, put. we are showing all of the different kinds of, of elements of sustainability and regenerative agriculture. And people can make their own decisions as they move forward. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. We need more farmers. We keep hearing that farmers are getting older and we need more farmers. And at the same time, we need more farmers. There seems to be more people that would like to farm or be involved some way. Well, today I'm happy to welcome Mary Kimball with Center for Land-Based Learning. And, and Mary, you run into both sides. You're running into people, I suppose, that have been farming and they'd like to see how they could help some others along. And you're hearing from people that wish they could farm or be involved in agriculture some way. That must be a kick. I mean, you're into something that everybody's excited about. Well, it, it is actually. It's it, it is a kind of a fun place to be. It's it's frustrating sometimes and, and certainly challenging because I'm this person who likes to connect people. You know, I love to to make those, ooh, this person over here needs this thing, and this person over here needs this thing, and let's just put them together, and of course it'll work. So that's kind of my thought process, and of course, it doesn't always work. But um, I love the that, it, that both things are happening. I mean, it's certainly uh, a challenge to, to agriculture, United States Cal agriculture, California, of course, that we have so many farmers who are uh, getting older and that do want to reti retire, and they are ready in many cases, and they want to pass it on, whether it's to their ne next generation or they want to see a a younger farmer that uh, either they've been working with, maybe has been leasing their land for a long time or someone they really want to help in the community, or maybe there's just, they don't have someone like that and they're looking for who is that next person that can take over the farm. So it's a challenging time from that perspective, but, but the other side, like you said, is that we have new people who are interested and then they do need the opportunities for sure. They need the doors opened. Well, you know, before we talk about opening those doors, let's talk about, uh, well, you got new doors, actually. You're at the Center for Land-Based Learning. Mm -hmm. You got a new home. We uh, do. You got a base of operation. Uh, but we ought to explain what it mm -hmm. is you do. Sure. Yeah. Well, Center for Land-Based Learning, nonprofit, of course. And, and yes, we have a great new headquarters uh, in Woodland, just right outside of Woodland on 113, about a, a mile out of town on actually a historic Yolo County farm called the Best Ranch. 
We are absolutely humbled to be here. Uh, we have a you know beautiful new headquarters building and farm operations and, and infrastructure, and uh, and we also have um, new farmers, like you said, that are actually housed with us here. But the point is, is what we do is we do workforce development for high school students up to about age 24, and their focus on agriculture, natural resource conservation, thinking more on the, the full aspect of all of the different jobs and opportunities out there in agriculture. And we run programs normally hands-on, <laughs> not during COVID, unfortunately, uh, up and down California in 27 counties. And then we train new farmers uh, here at our headquarters um, near, near Woodland again. And we do that in a lot of different ways. We have a, a seven month training program. We have, it's kind of a boot camp, so to speak. We have an explorer course this year for those who really are at the very beginning, really beginning, because there's a lot of those that I think they want to be farmers and they don't yet have a lot of experience. So this is a little bit of a, a pre-vetting uh, to that training program. Then we have land here available and also in West Sacramento that we lease out to beginning farmers that don't have access to their own land. A huge issue, of course, number one, probably land access. And then the third piece, which is super cool, and I don't even know if we've talked about it, is we have a farm and ranch management apprenticeship, a two-year registered apprenticeship in farm management. And, and we can talk more about that too. But yeah, we do a lot of things. <laughs> a lot of things. And we're very happy to be in this part of the agricultural world. Do you run across people that have land and, and, and tell you they'd like to get help people get started? Or is that where apprenticeships work in too? Do they get into a yeah. It's there are kind of two different things. There's the owner operator side of things, right? Or someone who really wants to farm themselves. They want to be the owner operator. They may not need, they don't need to own the land, but they can lease it and farm. So that's one group. And yes, we do get people who call us or email us or say what they normally do, which I appreciate, but is only really the first step is they say, I've got some land that I would love to offer to a beginning farmer because they've heard about this land access issue. Right. Uh, now that's cool. That's amazing. And we love that. However, it's the first step, right? Because so then the next question is, uh, especially here in California, is there irrigation? Huh? No. Got no. irrigation? No. Oh, well, no. You know, so, so those are some of those things that kind of you put the brakes on. Or is there any infrastructure at all there? Is there a barn? Is there a shed? Is there, and no. So, you know, so those are some of the things, again, we love that, that we love that outpouring of interest and support. It's just that it's the, it's really just the first step and oftentimes can't go beyond that, depending on what that piece of land is. And those folks don't always themselves, they just, they have the land, maybe they inherited or whatever, but they don't necessarily, they themselves aren't necessarily farmers. So it's not so much that they'll be mentors per se. They just really want to help with the land piece and they want to see it utilized to yeah. grow food, which is wonderful, right? We, we want that too. The apprenticeship is different. Apprenticeship is specifically for farm managers. So these are people who really don't necessarily want to own their own farms. They don't, you know, they don't want to be the main man, so to speak. Right, right. They want to be farm managers. And that's awesome too, because those farm managers are also aging out. Yeah. 
So that is really a mentor-mentee relationship, and it's awesome. So the farm farmer hires the apprentice. It's their their employee, not Center for Land-Based Learnings. It's their employee. But we get to involve, we get to help them and facilitate this incredible learning process that happens in an apprenticeship, right? I mean, the apprenticeship model in every other part of the world is kind of one of the most critical models that we have. Uh, We do well in the United States in the trades. We don't do so well in really anything else in the apprenticeship. Uh, It's not been the predominant way of learning, right? The predominant way of learning is people think, oh, you got to go to college. So I'm thrilled that we're seeing way more what we call um, kind of informal or or really new and innovative type of apprenticeships coming to the fore, including this one. You may be shocked shocked and surprised, but there are no other farm management apprenticeship programs in California, but this one. (laughs) <laughs> ah, well, what about the nation? We, we have we got there are. around the nation. There are some others outside. There of- are. And the Department of Labor um, has been very active really in the last 10 years at trying to get a lot more uh, apprenticeships in other trades. Right. Besides uh, besides the, the traditional construction, welding, those are electrician like they're great. They have done an amazing job. Those unions have it kind of I mean. People may not always love unions, but the reality is, is that unions have figured out the workforce development piece pretty well. They've figured out that pipeline. Agriculture has a little bit more of a challenge with that. Well, yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting. Now, when you have somebody going into an apprenticeship, um, mm-hmm. do they have to have achieved a certain level of education? Like, I mean, do they have to have high school degrees or do they They have the minimum qualifications for our apprenticeship? And every apprenticeship, of course, is different. But for our apprenticeship and our it's registered through the state of California. So that's the other piece here. This is when I say we're the only ones in California. What I mean, I want to be very specific. We're the only registered apprenticeship in the state of California through the Division of Apprenticeship Standards, DAS. Mm-hmm. And that, what does that mean? That means there's a lot of standards and there's a lot of check marks and check boxes that we have to fulfill, including ensuring that we're make, you know, file uh, following all labor standards, right? We decided we wanted to be at the high mark. We wanted to make sure we were, that we're above reproach because there can be challenges in agriculture when it comes to, we'll provide room and board. Well, sure. that's not legal. It's not legal. Okay. If there's, if, if that, if there's, if they're not getting minimum wage, that's not legal. So you can't just do room and board and a stipend that doesn't work. Well, now I don't want to add a controversy to this, but, uh, but I think of like woofers. Yes. uh, Different, different situation. It's short term and it's specifically focused on education. So as long as you have a real education uh, focus and you are in a lot of times the woofers, um, you know, it's, it's six weeks, it's two months. It's a little bit of a different, but there's, they Somebody have, might wonder what I was saying. I'm a woofer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> O-O-F and woof yeah. is worldwide, world organic op- opportunities in organic farming. That sounds right. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and they, we know a lot of people and that, and that come through each, even with the training program and, and also with the apprenticeship who've, who've woofed. 
which is really cool, right? It's it's sure. kind of like almost what we call a pre-apprenticeship. It gives them that opportunity for the hands-on learning to just see. It's kind of like our Explorer course. They get to see if they really like this. And yeah. that's awesome. But what I'm talking about is like, you're going to work for us for a year and you're going to work full time and you're going to get room and board and a $500 stipend a month. Yeah. Not legal. Okay. And so, when they get done with yeah. that, they hope to be hired as like the manager of a commodity, uh, if a farming operation that has several things and say, you get, the, you know, maybe you'll run the onions or something like yeah, that. Yeah. You mean the farm management apprenticeship? Yeah. yeah. Yes, absolutely. It, it's a wide variety. Now we have kind of, there's kind of two different ways you can do the apprenticeship, which is pretty cool. We, we recruit people who are interested in becoming apprentices. We also recruit farms and farmers who are interested in hiring an apprentice. So we do, and so it's a little bit of that matching that I was talking about before, which right. is super fun. Doesn't always work, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like the old dorm room matching, doesn't always work. Uh, so, so, but they, that's a, that's one process and they can hire someone and they can go through and have that, you know, person, usually it's, it's two, 3000 hours. So it's a use, it's at minimum a year and a half. Best case scenario, they're staying on that farm, right? That they're apprenticing that farm, that farmer, that mentor is like, this is the person for us. We're going to keep them on as a, you know, um, maybe not the high, the highest uh, farm manager on that farm, but someone who's in, a, in the succession plan. That's one option. Another option, which is kind of my favorite option, to be honest with you, in California, is what's called the incumbent worker program. So you've got somebody that already works for you that you've identified as like this person is is great. They're they have the potential to be a farm manager, but they need more skills. They need more training. They need more education, especially in in again in California. We're talking about for the most part Latino farm workers who who may have some language barriers, who may need more training in how to do an Excel spreadsheet, math, you know, basics. So we give them the opportunity to hire. They are already hired by that, or that company. They get to go into our apprenticeship program as an incumbent worker, and they get all the training part, which is awesome. I think this is, this is tremendous. Uh, you know, Mary, I, I want you to wander with me down to a clubhouse. Okay. Just to uh, set the room, this is the Farm to Table Talk Clubhouse which as I can tell most of the people that are here so far are very familiar. Uh, that is based around the podcast that we have that is every Saturday uh, that a new one goes up and you can find it on farmtabletalk.com and it's hosted by Roger. And the idea in this room is to kind of build off of the podcast and allow people to come here to get a little bit of a deeper dive uh, engage with the past guests and ask questions and also bring up some new ideas that can then spark, uh, you know, some future podcasts. Um, and so this has been an interesting, I was just telling Mary, this has been kind of an interesting experiment as we're all learning clubhouse and, and kind of, uh, finding what we like about it and what we don't, but it seems pretty great as, as a interactive tool for people to find another place to engage. Um, and if, I don't know if Roger, if you want to maybe start off with kind of what the what the general idea is around today. 
Uh, sure, happy to. And glad to see friends here that uh, have had uh, bins up and and been host conversations and has been very, very active. And Shannon has a, a room that I try to remember to get to every afternoon and glad to see him in. And Luke's in there often. Luke also has a podcast and uh, Jennifer's uh, Jennifer's up on the stage. And Jennifer, you may know of the of Mary Kimball and, and her work with the uh, Center for Land-Based Learning and several of the others down here. We're going to get, as people come in, we'll have more and more join us as, as if you want to come up on the stage. And so um, today we'll, we, I've already started a podcast with Mary and we've had a conversation, but Mary Kimball is our guest and she's the, the CEO of the Center for Ag-Based Learning and her organization has been trying to help all these people that would like to become farmers. And she's working uh, with both with young people, with people that are still in school, people that are wanting to become farmers and people that are working with existing farms. And it's an area that's near and dear to our heart. And I think to um, probably many people that we have here. And so, um, I'm going to keep pulling people up into the up into the screen that can can join us here. But first, I want to again introduce Mary Kimball. And Mary, welcome to the clubhouse. I know you joined Clubhouse now, and so happy to have you here. And really, the folks that are in the room already, I think that uh, you'll enjoy getting acquainted with them because they got a they really care about agriculture. So, Mary, explain. So we can get them all rolling on our conversation today. Um, explain those priorities that you have for the Center for Land-Based Learning. Sure. Well, hi. Uh, hi, everyone. And thank you, Roger. And thank you, Alec, for, for thinking of me for this. This is fun. Uh, our priorities are to, and our mission, I suppose, are to grow the next generation of farmers, agricultural leaders, and natural resource conservationists. And we've been around as a nonprofit organization since February of 2001. So we have been, we are actually celebrating our 20th year this year. But our programs, some of our programs at least, have been around since '93. Uh, so we've been we've been at this in a while, and I specifically since '98. Our goals, like you said, are to to really focus on workforce development in agriculture and natural resource conservation. And we do that through the kind of 16 to 24 age groups, high school and up into community college and four year and other kinds of opportunities after high school. And really engage people with the wide world of, of what the opportunities are out there. Uh, most people, and I, as I try to explain to folks um, that don't know a lot about agriculture, I said, remember that 1.8% of our population are farmers. Um, and, and so, you know, getting access to farmers and getting access to food production is tough. And so we provide that access uh, through our high school youth programs. And then, and we also, on the other side of the equation, you know, we, we decided about 10 years ago that we needed to, to keep working on this, on the farmer side, and we needed to help train new farmers. Uh, so many people interested in it, and uh, tr again, trying to find the access, the opportunities. We needed more and more um, organizations out there across the nation to do that. And man, so many have stepped up. It's amazing to see the difference 10 years now. Uh, that we've been doing this about how many different organizations are involved. 
So you cover um, all the whole, almost the whole state of California now, all the agricultural regions. And it's a huge, huge area that, that you're covering. Uh, explain the high school connection to me. Mm-hmm. Because, it, I mean, typically we've thought of BOAG or FFA or something like that is that that people used to be able to get involved. I don't know if everybody has FFAs anymore. But um, are you complimentary? Is it, is it, uh, how, how does that work? How do, yeah, you, how do no, you find it's, these it's people? Always, it's always the number one question. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's all of that. It's definitely complimentary. And also, we certainly work with quite a few high schools that have no FFA, that have no vocational ag programs. Uh, and as I like to say, and I've said this recently, and people are always shocked, you know, Fresno Unified. Okay, number one agricultural county in the state and, of course, in the nation, no longer has vocational FFA. Doesn't have FFA anymore. Doesn't have vocational ag. They do have agri- some schools have agricultural academies, but they don't have FFA anymore. So people think, oh, of course they do. No, they don't. But those are still areas, of course, that deserve a need the access to understanding agriculture, the opportunities uh, out there in, in ag. And then that's, again, we're that bridge organization to help them do that. So that's one thing with schools that, that don't have ag. And then we absolutely work with ag programs as well and always have um, from the very beginning, going back to 93. It was always a mix of schools. And I think that's the kind of the really cool thing about our programs is it's these mix of schools and mix of students that come together over the course of a high school year that are from different backgrounds. You know, some could be a very urban, never stepped outside of their 10 block radius of their where they live in many cases. Uh, it, it, it's just, that's this situation. Uh, and then others who might be from a more rural background or a suburban background schools, but still don't have a lot of access and are understanding about what's going on around their communities. So, wow. I mean, that, that's great. It's powerful, right? It's that beginning of that leadership and listening and critical thinking skills that we absolutely want our high school students to be gathering in high school. So it's, it's complimentary because these same FFA students, they may have never been on a farm. They may have been taking an ag bio class. They're in FFA, but that doesn't mean that they have ever actually been on a farm, a real farm. And so those are the kinds of things that we are able to provide them as well as access to businesses and other networks. And again, the myriad of opportunities in agriculture and natural resources. Um, you know, we have several Canadian friends in in the room here, and and I don't even know for sure. I'm embarrassed, but uh, Derek, is there a FFC? Is there future Future Farmers of Canada? I really should know that, and I don't. Uh, not to the extent of the states. Uh, we do have local 4-H clubs, uh, but yeah, in terms of FFA or FFC, uh, nothing to that really extent in Canada. Just our local 4-H clubs. Yeah, I just didn't know. Well, well, Mary, when you don't have those existing, how do you find how do you find these young people before they even graduated in a high school? How do you find the ones that have an interest that think I want to know more about farming and possibly it's a direction that I can go? Because you know, I would I would guess in some of those areas that these kids go to their guidance counselor, um, they might say, perhaps you should stay in agriculture. 
uh, others used to say that they got to talk them out of that to, you know, go to college and do anything other than get than agriculture. So how do you find these young people that think that, gee, when I get out of school, I would like to have a, a life that's, that's somehow engaged in agriculture? Where do you find those people? Yeah, it's it's a great question. So we we work with teachers, yay, teachers. <laughs> um, you know, for example, for a school that doesn't have agriculture, I'll just use that as the best example here. Um, it's a science teacher. It could be chemistry. It could be biology. You know, anything. And then we just go and 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 the teacher. We have teachers who have worked with us for many many years, so they know. They know how great our programs are and they know how much they impact the students. Um, so they then say, yes, we want to do it. And then each year we go in and we recruit. So we'll do normally again. I want to say that this last year obviously is very different. So I'm going to, I'm going to use a normal situation. Uh, we go into the classroom. Our coordinators go into the classroom, give a presentation. Here's what the program's about. And they may give a presentation to one class of students. They may give the presentation to three different classes of biology, and then they apply. And so this just like any other leadership program or any other program that, that you're, that you're one, you're, you see some interest in like, Hey, I think I might like that. I never really thought of myself as potentially being interested in agricultural natural resources, but I like this idea of being out of the classroom <laughs> once a month. Uh, over the course of an entire school year, which is the way the program works in high school. And they get to go to all these different places and learn a lot of things. And it's very science-based. So people who are in a science class, of course, might really glom on to something like, oh, wildlife biologist. We're going to get to meet a wildlife biologist and we're going to build wood duck boxes in one of the field days. That interests me. So they'll sign up for that particular thing. And then while they're in those field days over the course of the year, they tend to find a lot of other things that interest them. You know, I'm wondering about the, the the mix of people that show the interest and they want to learn more about agriculture and they're still high school age and they might, you know, go up to be more involved. Is there a fair representation of people whose perhaps their parents came to the States as field workers that, uh, that, you know, immigrants, mm -hmm. uh, is, is it, uh, I don't know how to say what proportion, but is it is a strong representation of people that have the background like that? Yeah, absolutely. Here in California, which of course is where all of our programs are, we run uh, programs from um, Tehama in the north. So those of you who are familiar with California, uh, pretty far north, uh, about three quarters, maybe a little bit more than that up to the Oregon border. And then all the way down to Kern, Bakersfield, which is again, not all the way down to the Southern border. We see this is a huge long state. Uh, and, and, and also over in Monterey County, Salinas Valley, uh, of course in Sonoma County and some of the other counties that we, and yes, I would say 50% at this point, at least over all of our students that are in our programs are Latino. And many of them are, yeah, absolutely children of, of, of farm workers. Uh, and, and to your point earlier, uh, many of them have been told to go out of agriculture, including by their, by their families. Um, you know, I, I, I just love this. We have many stories of students who that was the situation. They, they, uh, they were, their parents didn't want them to continue in the footsteps that they were, have been in. Um, but those kids, they, they did the farms program and they found something that really they loved. 
and I'll give one example of a woman who's graduating this year, or I should say this month, finishing up her PhD at Cal, at Cal at Berkeley with a PhD in ecology. And she's focused on pollinators. Her name is A.D. Guzman, and she's from Fireball. And I know you know where Fireball is. Yes. Um, and she did not, her mom, single mom, parent, you know, farm worker, mom didn't want her to go into ag. But she went on a farms program fill day and she was hooked. And she is now working with many of her small-scale farmer farmers in her region, Hmong farmers and others, to really work on biodiversity. Uh, and she is an amazing, amazing woman, and I know she's going to do amazing things. So if we leave those people out, that's that's a huge, huge problem for us in agriculture. We absolutely need to be retaining, motivating, finding opportunities for every single person who wants to be in it. Well, you know, you got an example like that where she went on and got a PhD. What about the ones that are teetering on the other brink that they're going to say, right. okay, am I going to go to college or can I continue to kind of do an apprenticeship or work in agriculture? And it may not be necessary to go to college. Huh? Um, I mean, how do you play that? Because it seems like that's a, that's a tricky spot of people are saying, I need to go on and get a college degree or studying college or um, a try to get into a program to get directly into agriculture without necessarily going to college. Yes, absolutely. Well, it just so happens that we've started a new program for folks like that. Um, we have a farm management apprenticeship and it's a two year registered apprenticeship uh, here in California. And it is, and it is just that it is for people who may not want to go to college or maybe they don't want to go to college yet. Maybe they're still thinking about things. Maybe they're taking some community college classes. Maybe they're doing some certificates, which is wonderful. Uh, but they, they're they very interested in this farm management side of things and, and getting started. And how do you get started? Well, again, in, in many other countries and in certainly in, in, in this country with the trades, the apprenticeship model is an exceptional model for that. Uh, and, and I think the interesting thing about apprenticeship I don't know why, but it seems to be more kind of recognized as something more, um, I don't know, uh, higher level. I mean, it is a higher level and it is more uh, what I guess I would say um, it's people feel that it, you know, it's, it's more recognized. And, and so I think it's a great way for people to get the kind of training without fully stepping in 100%. In our case, it's a two, two years, well, it's 3,000 hours, uh, and they work for a farm and a, and a farm mentor. And they may stay at that farm. That's the best case scenario. They stay on because it's a great match. But at minimum, they've just gotten two years of exceptional training, and, and, and including supervisory training and leadership training, which is provided by the apprenticeship, uh, our part, the Center for Land-Based Learning's part, which they can, of course, take anywhere, right? They, they can utilize that staying in, the, as a, in farm management. Of course, they can take it into any other job. So I, I, I don't know. I'm a huge, huge fan of the apprenticeship model. And mo the more that we learn, this is our third year, the more that I'm absolutely sold. And, and I wish we actually had more apprenticeships in this country because I think for many, many young people, many young people, this is the better way for them to go. The hands-on well, way. I, I was just going to add, I think this is one of the first conversations you and I had back, you know, six, seven years ago uh, when I was living on the coast 
And I think uh, I think it was Roger that was encouraging me to look into getting a, a loan to actually buy some land there on the coast because, um, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of farmers are getting older and they're looking for, you know, new young farmers to come in and take over this land. And so there are loans available for people that are looking to get into agriculture. But it felt very much like kind of a catch-22 because to get the loan, to get the farm, you needed the experience of, you know, running a farm. And I, and I kind of found myself in this spot where I was like, well, no, but I need the, I need the loan so that I can have the farm so I can get the experience. And, you know, and I get from the banking perspective, they're not just going to give loans to anybody who, you know, thinks that they have an idea. But that's what I, I really liked when we first started talking about your program, where it was um, giving people that opportunity to actually run a farm without, you know, having their own land and that you have opportunities for people to, you know, even at night, you know, come and, and manage some fields and, and, and get that experience that then potentially, you know, a couple of years down the road, they would be able to go and get a loan to actually get some land. But, uh, you know, for a newbie like me, who obviously I'm not very deep into the farming side, but it was like, oh, this sounds like a great idea. And then you just kind of hit that roadblock that's like, oh, well, you know, you need to somehow get that experience somewhere and actually be trained on how to do all this stuff before you can make that next step for that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, Alec. It's the, it is definitely the catch-22. How do you get experience in something, especially if you want to be an owner-operator and then go get a loan, but then you don't actually have three years of financials, which they require. So that's the exact reason why we started our farm incubator program. So we have a training program for seven months, kind of, you know, boot camp called the training California Farm Academy training program. But we knew right from the beginning because we learned from great organizations like ALBA down in, the, in Watsonville, Salinas area that you and many others around the country that have done such an incredible job that you, it, yeah, it's one thing to have the training program. It's a completely different thing to have land access and not just land access, but access to infrastructure, access to equipment and access to technical service, access to education, access to opportunities, resources, financial and otherwise. That is, you know, you can train people. That's great, but it's only the first step. So that's why when we set out to create our California Farm Academy from the very beginning, we put, we've coupled those things together, not the training as well as the farm incubator, farm business incubator. So they could have access to land with all of those other pieces available to them as a part of a very low subsidized annual rental rate per acre and including, you know, access to our staff and of course, all so many other great mentors and so many wonderful uh, partners that we have that can help them with next steps. And I'll give you an example of one that, that you probably know about and that you, you know, that you may have utilized if you'd gone down that direction, which is California FarmLink. You know, they're, they have, they can not only help match people, farmers who are wanting to have their land stay in production, stay as a farm, but for whatever reason, either they don't have a next generation to to, to succeed to, or those next generations are not interested in, the, in farming, uh, with, you know, usually more beginning farmers, mid-career mid, uh, farmers, so you want to call it, who need access to land. They do that linking. 
But they also do things like help people with leases, you know, just basic, how do you do a farm lease? And so many of our beginning farmers need that. So we partner with organizations like that to provide the curriculum, but then next steps, like, okay, what are you going to do after the farm business incubator? Another one is kitchen table advisors who've been an incredible partner lately too, to help our incubator farmers as they get to year three, year four, year five, and they're going on into some next levels that need more help. And, and so those are the kinds of things that that farm business incubator helps them get up, not only get some of those financials, but also, of course, helps them think through next steps. Do we want to scale up? Do we want to continue in this? Do we want to add value added? Running the numbers, you know, putting together all of those kinds of, of financial packages if they're going to go get a loan, et cetera. So, so yeah, so, and then there's the apprenticeship. So that's the point is there's a lot of different uh, ways to enter, but it's, you got to get experience. And, and so where, how do I get experience if I, if I don't have any access to it? So an organization like Center for Land-Based Learning can provide those many different points of access, depending on where you are in your life and in your experience level. Well, let me take a minute and reset the room. We've got a, a, a lot of old friends joining and a nice, a nice crowd on hand. And this is the farm to table talk. We just do this uh, once a week at noon, uh, Wednesdays, noon, California time. And today we're talking with uh, Mary Kimball, who is the CEO of Center for Land-Based Learning. And uh, Mary and I, in a few, few minutes, I want to get on into talking about some of the successes and what you're learning from the program so far and where some of these people are going that have gone through the program. And uh, before we do, I want to open it up for questions. And I do want to say that Mary and I have been doing a podcast and I'm recording Mary's comments with her permission. And, and, I'm, and I, if no one objects, I'm going to uh, might record your question or her answer to the question because of continuation of the of the podcast when we get around to it. But first, I just want to open it up. And we've got a lot of people on stage that I know aren't bashful if they have something to say. So uh, would anyone like to make a comment or have a question for Mary? Uh, did I see, uh, Shannon, did you flash a minute ago? Yes, thanks, Roger. I appreciate you. Invite me up to your stage, greatly. Um, Mary, great. Love your organization. It sounds phenomenal. Um, how do businesses become involved in helping this gain even more traction, like co-ops, or how can they invest in promoting that through your organization? Yeah, great question, Shannon. We love, 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 love business partners. Um, and, and this program, you know, going not just the one that I'm talking about, the apprenticeship, but all the way back, the Farms Leadership Program that started all the way back in 93. And really all of the programs that we have at the Center for Land-Based Learning would not exist, would not be possible without a whole lot of agricultural business partners. So there's, you know, there's many ways, of course, to, to do that. And, and I'm not exactly sure where you are located um, in, in the United States. It sounds like you might be in another part than California. But, um, you know, it, it, we, uh, first of all, are a nonprofit organization. So obviously, we are always looking for business partners to invest in our in our programs so that we can run them in the first place, right? Because these are 
uh, staff heavy and and they are intensive and it's not just a one-off these are you know programs that we run there's nothing less than seven months so we're talking about pretty intensive uh, programming and we we want to make sure that the students that are whether it's the high school students or the adult students can can access them so that means that we can we provide scholarships so that's one opportunity right is to provide the scholarships to students students whether again they're high school or adult that need that uh, and many of our many of our students do they would not be able to do the programs without half you know at least half of their tuition is paid and our tuition is already way less than what it actually costs us to run that but we still have tuition. We believe in tuition. We believe you need to pay for, um, and there's more commitment there when you're paying. So scholarships is one way. Another way, again, with whether depending on on uh, the program you're talking about, but if it's at the high school level, we're we're each month, right? We're getting out there and we are taking the students to visit different parts of the agriculture industry. Co-ops, yeah. Absolutely, right? We, we want students to learn about that side of the business. What are all of the different ways that, that farmers operate? What are the different business structures, et cetera? So at the high school level, yeah, absolutely. A cooperative visit would be one of those things where they would get an introduction to that. At the, at the, at the again, at the adult level, if that co-op was one that want, it potentially had farmland and it was doing uh, ag agricultural production and they could see this need for apprenticeship that would be another way where you could be a where you could be a farm host mentor for an apprentice uh, you know there there's a lot of different ways that businesses can get involved Mary, I love it uh, what you're doing um, my big question is really how much of this is directed towards um, regenerative farmers um, here in the UK, we have a real lack of um, education when it comes to uh, regenerative, um, sustainable, holistic type farming systems. Um, and I just see this as a massive opportunity to um, educate a, young, uh, a younger generation in, in obviously regenerative practices rather than your conventional practices. So, yeah, that's my question. I'd love to understand it. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Glenn. That that's a great one. Um, so, when going back to the original creation of the Farms Leadership Program uh, back in '93, so Farms—it's an acronym in this case: Farming, Agriculture, and Resource Management for Sustainability. <laughs> so, it is embedded uh, in our culture and in our programs uh, from literally from the very first program, going way back. So, you know, it's funny. I was answering a question on Twitter this morning. Um, somebody was at, one of the guys that I follow was asking, you know, kind of this challenge with discussing, say, sustainability or whatever. And, and it's it's probably as true today as it was then when I first started in 98. You know, everybody wants a, your definition for sustainability or your definition for regenerative ag. You can think of alumni that have anywhere from a half an acre and doing urban agriculture uh, in, in West Sacramento, for example, here locally, all the way up to hundreds of acres, depending on what they had access, access to before and uh, what they're growing. You know, it's, if they're growing vegetables for a specific restaurant on contract in Sacramento, half an acre, they're, they're doing really well. Uh, others may be growing 
for example, heirloom grains. We have one of our grower or one of our alumni, David Keisel, KP Mills, uh, check him out. He's amazing, is growing heirloom grains and milling it. And he's also contracting with a bunch of other local farmers to grow grain for him. And then he does the milling. So it just depends, right? And then in terms of the same thing with our incubator and apprentice, they're, they're ending up in a lot of different places. And I think that's the neat thing about our programs. It's not a prescribed, like, you must become a farmer kind of program. You're getting all of this background that you can utilize. You might go into value added. For example, you might go into cannabis production. I mean, we we've got it all. <laughs> we've got it all, and and uh, I think that's the cool thing about it. Uh, Mary, we've talked a, a lot about young people getting in. I mean, you're getting the attention of people that might even be in high school, and then you're getting young people that may or may not be going into college. And and, but I'm wondering about people that are mid career, uh, whether you get people that have have been working uh, outside of agriculture for 10, 15 years or so and decided they're on the wrong track and they're, they're not happy with what they're doing and decide that I really want to one way or the other, get attached to farming, be a farmer, be connected with it somehow. Do you find those people come to you? Yep, we call them career changers. <laughs> and we have a lot of them. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just so interesting, right? I mean, maybe it was always a, a love and always a dream that they had, and they never felt that it was possible. And then they saw our programs and said, oh my gosh, I had no idea I could actually do that. So an example of that is one of my, my favorites is... Um, his name is Jay Cuff, Hardy Fork Farm. And he was in one of our original program classes. I think he was in our second program class. And his wife uh, is a lawyer here in Sacramento. He was working in teaching and specifically with disabled adults. Uh, and he always wanted to be a farmer. He grew up in Eastern Oregon and, and worked for some farms, but never thought it was attainable. It, his family didn't have a farm he's like there's no way the only in his world in eastern oregon the only way you were going to become a farmer was if you own land if you are a succession right to your family farm so when he moved here to california with his wife he's like you know there's no way so she happened to see me at at some something i was giving to a, a local group of urban land institute or something some class i was teaching and she went home and told him about it and he signed up immediately and ten, oh, we just we were just talking a few years a few days ago eight years later you know he's still farming and he's extremely successful um so that's that kind of that example of a career changer right and we have many of them i it's kind of shocking to me how many that are in the financial business <laughs> so we've had folks from merrill lynch from prudential from wells fargo uh, we've had folks in the tech business a lot in the tech business google um you know Lots that, and we have a lot of folks from the Bay Area, um, and which tend to come from the the tech side, that they're either just done with what they're currently doing. They may have uh, been able to to save enough money and and to do it that change. But it's very very interesting to me. The other career changer that I want to talk about is veterans, 
we have significant programming for vet, uh, that are specific for veterans and because for lots of different reasons but um veterans you know whether they're coming back from iraq or afghanistan more recently or they're retiring and many of them if they went in at age 18 you can retire quite young and have all of these amazing skills and all of these amazing things that you want to keep utilizing so we actually have quite a few veterans that go through our training program and are part of our incubator and also our apprenticeship um, and so that is an interesting, you know, one of our our apprentices over at Soilborn in Sacramento, and they were so thrilled to get him because he had diesel mechanics <laughs> and uh, skills and could fix anything. And as anyone knows who works and is a farmer, uh, how important those skills and how hard to find those skills are. So, you know, you can look at some of these other um other industries, so to speak, uh, and and say where 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 they might be able to fit in. So career changers are big ones for us. In, oh, Ben, would you? Uh, we haven't heard from you yet, Ben. Hi there. My name is Ben Glasson, and I'm a career changer. Uh, at, uh, at about 30 years old, I switched to farming because I had a career as an athlete in mountain biking, and then I injured out of that industry right at the end of. Uh, completing a degree in tourism, thinking I'd build businesses in uh, in mountain biking and ecotourism. And now I turn that focus to farming. So I see that there's essentially four ways to get into farming. Either first, you're born into it and you're raised on a farm and learn that way. Second of all, you go to uh, ag school and get a degree specific to ag or food food industry. Third, you apprentice or you intern on a farm. And fourth, you do it the hard way like I am. You just dump all your money into it and learn on the fly with as many uh, resources like, you know, communicating here, or podcasts and things like that. <clears throat> it sounds like your program really covers that spectrum. Um, and so just kind of curious, are you seeing more people in your program coming from that urban subset? where they don't necessarily come from a farming background because for so many years, um, farm families said, don't come back to the farm farm. It's either get big or get out. And there's, we're don't have enough resources here for you to return to the farm. So are you seeing that that generation is less interested and you're seeing more urban kids, or do you see a mix of farm kids who are seeing the new opportunities as well? as the urban kids who are eager to get into uh, farming? Great question, Ben. Everybody's got great questions today. This is awesome. Um, yes, both. <laughs> we definitely do see the next generation of kids from that grew, did grow up on a farm and they left, to your point. Um, they were, you know, told by their family or whatever it is, we don't have a place for you. Sorry, you know, you need to go somewhere else. You need to get other experience. Uh, and, you know, then they were gone 10 years or so, 10 to 15 seems to be kind of the norm for a lot of the folks that, that even either have gone through our programs or, or that I specifically work with in this region that fit the, this, that, uh, that kind of demographic and they came back you know for a lot of a lot of different reasons depending but they uh for to go through our program the reason why they went through our program is because the seven month training program is half of the curriculum is business planning 
And so that was one of those things that we realized real early on. Production is one thing, um, but as one of our local farmers likes to say, you know, you got to sell before you sow. So, you know, how do you get that experience? And, and their parents told them, you need to go get some more experience on the business side, the business planning side. So our training program worked out really well for those, for those folks. But yes, we do see that. And it's not the predominant uh, number, certainly, that are in our programs, but it's definitely, uh, I would say it's probably about 15%. Um, and then, yeah, the, the urban folks, I'd say, is, is probably by far the largest amount of, of people that are expressing interest, whether it's in our training program, whether it's in our apprenticeship or in our business incubator. It's very, very interesting. Um, and, you know, I, I guess I'm not all that surprised, right? They've been divorced, really, from the land and from the opportunities for a really long time. And, and they are, in many cases, they are, you know, really yearning for that. Um, I don't know where your original interest came from in, in agriculture. Very interesting background, by the way. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, we see it all the time and it's just different things that connected them for, you know, whether it was a garden program in their community or it was even going back to elementary or high school where they got, they were involved in in a school garden or otherwise, or that college, we're seeing a lot of college colleges now across the country, which I think is amazing, having a lot more school farms and or school gardens. And a lot of that is now having to do with some food access, um, you know, opportunities. And, and so they're getting engaged at college and then, and they may not even be an ag major. So your point about one of the ways to get in it, Lots of interest there. Um, they may be a sociology major or something like that, but involved with a, with a school garden or school farm. And, and that got them interested. So lots of urban. Yes, lots of urban. And, and I, I think it's amazing. I, I, I absolutely applaud them and I applaud their interests and I applaud their, their passion. And we need them all in agriculture. You know, one thing I wonder about when people have these intentions, have they really thought through that they may not make as much money at first? I mean, do you do you find you have to have them say, uh, here, sit down and look at what the real budgets cost? Because you may have to, you know, live in a tiny house and give up things at least at first uh, because their expectation of all that's good about it might leave out the bottom line. I mean, do, do you kind of help them say, let's sharpen a pencil and, and you need to think about this really, are you willing to make what might be sacrifices financially initially to kind of get on track? Yeah. Back to the training program. <laughs> yeah. So this is, they get the hardcore reality in the training program. I mean, that's, that's one of the very big reasons for it. And so part of that business planning piece is they have to crunch the numbers. And many of them, you know, they, they look to some very rosy numbers. And, then at the, and so they, our coordinator, of course, assists them in, in coming back to reality. But then we have a whole panel at the end where they're doing their presentation, too, that's 
farmers and farm farm businesses going back to what I can't remember who it was that was asking me about how businesses can get involved. This is another way. Uh, we absolutely need people who are out there who want to help, you know, help us do things like listen to the business plan presentations and give them the, give them the reality and give them, and give them the, the uh, you know, other resources and things like that. Feedback so critical so yeah they get that then <laughs> yeah. uh and and again and again and and the hard work parts and uh how many hours in 110 degrees here and all of that and that is an exact you know going back to i think it was ben that that is doing doing all of that you know you're learning all that now um Absolutely. And that's a big reason why we do the, uh, the business incubator because number one, it's relatively subsidized. You're not going to your friends and your family and your own bank accounts and the credit cards and all of that kind of thing to, to, to just try to make this work and then end up so in the red that you just can't continue and you've just blown your life savings and all of that. Like we don't want that. It's one of the reasons why, uh, organizations across the country started creating these training programs and incubators so that you wouldn't have to do something like that. Um, but And that helps with the reality piece as well. Because if you're here, you're on our farm site and you're leasing an acre, say, and you're learning, you're taking all these risks, but it's a lot more, again, that's the goal behind the incubator. You're a lot more protected. You have a lot less risk that you're putting out there. And all of the, most of the infrastructure Center for Land Based Learning has, and there, and that's provided as part of your lease. So that does help it with understanding the realities. So that when you do get to the point when you're on your own, right, you, you've already had those experiences and understand what the real costs are. And Mary, it's uh, really appreciate what you're doing. You've shared a lot. I think there's some, some of us here today have gotten some ideas that you've in, inspired. And I trust that some of them will be in contact with you for further information too. Remind people, but where sure. do they find you? Sure. Well, we um, have, our, of course, our website, landbaselearning.org. And, you know, if you're more of a, you like, uh, more of the social media side. We're also all over that. <laughs> so Center for Land-Based Learning, at Land-Based Ed, at Land-Based Learning, depending on which platform, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, we're there. Great. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Roger Wasson. 